Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to a special season of What the Flock. We've spent five seasons covering the topics that have caused so much damage people don't come to church anymore. This season, our goal is to repair the Bible's reputation by taking specific Bible verses that have been abused, and that's due to man-made tradition, and help you understand the ultimate answer for these verses. I'm joined by my co-host, Joel Swakowski. How you doing, Joel? I'm great. Thank you for asking. How are you? Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, before we get into the episode, I do have a disclaimer. The What the Flock podcast does not represent it. Uh, no. <laughs> if you haven't listened to seasons one through five, we encourage you to do so. We highly recommend that because everything we're going to discuss this season is built on a foundation of the previous five seasons. So at the very least, listen to the episodes that we're going to reference during this episode. It's usually, you know, anywhere from four to five, six sometimes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll do, you know, all 75. <laughs> yeah, the, and I think the, the longer we've gotten into this season, the, the more we've relied on all 75, that's for sure. Seriously. And those 75 episodes repeatedly showed that every issue has two perspectives that distract people from the perspective they ought to have, the ultimate perspective. We called those distracting perspectives the strict side and the loose side. Now, what we saw is that the strict side is initiating conflict with the Bible by saying that they know the correct interpretation for sure. Yet when contradictions are exposed in their interpretation, they rationalize the reliance on man-made tradition in the place of God's word. We like to use the example of you're a sinner and that although you can't earn your salvation by works, you better do works to prove your salvation. And we can see these people as contradiction rationalizers. Then there's the loose side. The loose side avoids conflict, period. That's kind of a anybody mm -hmm. who has a loose side perspective is someone who's trying to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. Now, as it relates to Bible, the Bible and the interpretation of the Bible, these people avoid conflict with God's word by saying, you know what, Jonathan, we can't know anything for sure. Right. You know, there's no answer given or it's beyond our understanding. It's too complex. Our brains, our minds are too finite. Now, the issue with the loose side is and the contradiction that these people operate in is they still want to be able to tell you that you're wrong and that they know for sure that you are wrong in whatever area that is different than what they believe. So we see these people as contradiction enablers. Excellent. Thank you, Joel. What is the verse or verses we're going to be covering today? Yes, it is verses today. Verses. Yeah. And in particular, this one's a little bit unique because it's not just a chunk of passages from the same, you know, book or chapter of the Bible. It's actually three different sections of scripture, but as you'll see, they all cover the same topic. So we're going to go Mark 10, 11, and 12. Matthew 5, 31 to 32, and Matthew 19, 8 and 9. So we can do this? We yes. can take three? We can? We can do this. Okay. Yes. Okay. 
and you'll see it. it I'm going to go, I'll go through and read them for you. The, the full verses here and, and you'll see why we would want to use all three of these in conjunction with this one episode. So Mark 10, 11, and 12 says this. So he, Jesus, said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Right? Familiar? Yeah? Yes. Matthew 5, 31 and 32 says, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Right? See mm -hmm. the common thread there? And I then, do. And then finally, Matthew 19, 8 and 9 says, He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So there you go. Those are the three different sections. You know, there's what, two verses per section of scripture that we're going to be covering that definitely is thematic with this divorce, adultery, sexual immorality issue. These verses are are the biggest ones that that are used in the church today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What an episode. Oh, I know. Oh, geez. I think someone just I think I just heard someone in my brain stopping the podcast as soon as they heard the verses. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Very that very well may happen. Yeah. Well, in order to look at how these verses have damaged the reputation of the Bible, or in other words, how man has taken away from what God intended with this, these verses, we've recorded messages from two of our favorite callers from the first five seasons. So let's hear the strict perspective given by Apostle Tater from McMullen, Alabama. Not only is divorce a sin, if you get remarried, you are committing adultery. Joel, how would you respond to the perspective that Apostle Tater gave us? I would want this person to listen to the divorce episode, season one, episode 10, the sex before marriage episode, also season one, episode nine. And you know what? Even the Malachi 2.16 episode that we did earlier this season, season six, episode three. Hmm. Now, what this side doesn't understand is both marriage and divorce. And unfortunately, they are teaching a Jesus that doesn't know the law. Yikes. Yikes is right. Well, next, let's hear the loose perspective given by Pastor Rich from McMullen, Alabama. Well, even if this is still a sin today jesus has forgiven us from all of our sins so i, I wouldn't worry about this too much y'all it's an outdated law and only applied to the culture of the time joel how would you respond i would want these people to 
listen to the episodes Sin, Season 2, Episode 12, Forgiveness, Season 2, Episode 10, and the God's Nature series, Season 2, Episode 1, and even the Sodom episode we did last season, Season 5, Episode 14. Because these people really need to understand justice, how God works, how how and why they're or what what side of justice that they are on themselves and i mean there's so much going on on the loose side and a lot right. of implications behind this belief yep. not only about what sin is what forgiveness is and also the damage that the loose side is doing and causing on people well, both sides really, but yeah, we can see see that clearly on the loose side, and we will as we continue forward and in interpreting these verses the right way. Excellent. So a summary so far is the strict side doesn't understand marriage and divorce, and the loose side doesn't understand God's will and justice. Right. So what steps should we take to get the correct interpretation? Well, we'll use the same five-step process that we've used for every passage or passages this season. We've made it through the fourth step as of recent episodes. Could you remind us of the ditty up to the fourth verse? Absolutely. What does the Bible say? Did the English translation get in the way? Why don't you look at the context, find other scriptures you need? Another step is coming. Yeah. All yes. right. Okay. So, well, let's get into it. Step one What does the Bible say? Well, the verses that I read earlier Mark 10, 11, and 12, Matthew 5, 31, and 32, Matthew 19, 8, and 9 are all yes in the Bible. We can move on and we will. We need to find out number two. What does the original language say to see if did the English translation get in the way? Mm -hmm. And we do have some issues with translations here. So, yes. You see, this is the very, very start of a lot of the issues as it relates to the interpretation or the traditional interpretation of these verses. So what we'll do is go through these verses and I will point out the words that ought to be translated differently so we can yes we can understand and then even even what those words mean so for instance the first two verses mark 10 11 and 12 said so he said to them whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her and if a woman divorces her husband and marries another she commits adultery in this verse in these two verses the word divorce or divorces shouldn't be used at all. Mm. It should be putting away. The Greek word for putting away is the original language. So it's interesting. It's like, yeah, both usages of, of divorce in, in these two verses should not be used. Matthew 5, 31 and 32 says, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. 
So verse 31, again, the first use of divorce or divorces should be put away, not divorce, except in the phrase certificate of divorce. Verse 32, again, the word should not be divorce. It should be put away. Both times that the word divorce is used. And then there's also an important one we'll see later on. The the word sexual immorality should be translated as and and come from the Greek word that means fornication, which is Mm -hmm. the Greek word porneo. So we'll see here in a minute why. And we could have a better, more accurate translation that has caused issues there as well. And then again, Matthew 19, 8 and 9 says, He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So again, every use of divorce in these two verses should be put away. And sexual immorality should be translated as fornication. So in other words, to simplify this for everybody, in the six verses I've I've covered so far, the only time the word divorce should have been used was when Jesus referred to a certificate or bill of divorce. Nice. Every other usage should have been put away or putting away. Nice. Big key thing that I'm going to say often throughout this episode is that divorce and putting away are two separate concepts. Did again, everybody we, catch that? Yeah. Did everybody catch that? <laughs> two separate concepts, divorce yeah. and putting away. Yes. And that was, again, that was something we covered season six, episode three in the Malachi 2.16 episode. Mm-hmm. Now, to define these, what, what was the original language definition? Divorce, we've seen... God's definition for divorce is the dissolving of a marriage covenant where both spouses are still part of the greater community. This is meant for believers. Putting away is the dissolving of a marriage covenant where the spouse who is, quote, put away is removed from the greater community due to unbelief. Which brings me into the sexual immorality word, which should be fornication. When you see that word fornication, you could think of it simply as unbelief. The Greek word and what that word fornication means is to commit idolatry or to worship an image. Now, this can be done directly by something like bowing down to something other than God. Or it can be done indirectly by violating the covenant of marriage. Sexual immorality is just one way a person can commit fornication. You can see this like through Solomon, your wives will turn your hearts to other gods. It's He's committing fornication or worshiping an image indirectly through his wives. Whether he's bowing down in front of an, a physically made idol or not, he is committing idolatry. Nice. All right. So, step two showed us that there are major differences in the original language from most of the modern and popular English translations. 
But this doesn't help us interpret these verses completely. It just shows us where some of the major issues start just right in the translation issues. So we need to move on to step three, which is what's the context? You know, and the ditty is why don't you look at the context? Yep. So here's where we're going to go for, we, where we're, we're going for a ride for this entire episode, but step three is going to take a bit because we're going to go. So for instance, Mark 10, 11, and 12, we're going to start all the way back at Mark 10 verse one through 12. So here's what we got. Mark 10 verse one says, and he arose from thence and cometh into the borders of Judea and beyond the Jordan and multitudes come together unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And there came unto him, this is Jesus, right? There came unto him Pharisees and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Trying him. So the Pharisees here, here's commentary break. Pharisees are trying or testing Jesus by asking him about the concept of putting away. Now, we already taught that putting away was a method of ending a marriage covenant and removing one of the spouses from the believing community because of unbelief. Notice the initial cause of this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees was not about divorce. Verses 3 through 5. And he answered and said unto them, Why did Moses command, excuse me, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. But Jesus said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. So here what we have is the Pharisees referring to the law of Moses, and Jesus responded in kind. Now, verses 6 through 9. Jesus continues. But from the beginning of the creation, male and female, made he them. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no more two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Which is another verse people use to say you can't get divorced, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But verses 6 through 9 covered how it ought to be. Jesus covered how it ought to be, not how it is. Believers ought to marry other believers. God would, would, would be part of this marriage covenant. Meaning God would have joined this couple of believers. Jesus then said that these marriages should not be put asunder by people, which meant put away. Put asunder meant put away. These marriages that God joined, man should not put away. Nice. This doesn't mean God joined every marriage. It means the ones he did join should not be separated by man. It doesn't even say they shouldn't be separated by God. But some people try to say that God joins every marriage and we should not divorce. Really, this verse stated that marriage between believers should not end with putting away. It could still end in divorce because Deuteronomy 24, 
gave the law as it relates to divorce. Sure, I'm kind of tipping my hand a little bit. We're eventually going to get to Deuteronomy 24 later on. So um, we will get there. Verses 10 through 12. And in the house, the disciples asked him again of this matter. Cool. The disciples want clarification in private. Verse 11, and he said, he saith unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commits adultery against her. And if she herself shall put away her husband and marry another, she committeth adultery. These are the verses that we covered specifically in this, right? Notice how in this translation, which I use the American Standard Version, accurately uses the terms put away and not the term divorce. So this explanation by Jesus had nothing to do with the culture of the time. Jesus stated that God saw these believing spouses as still married. If they put each other away and then formed a marriage covenant through sexual intercourse with another person, God would consider it to be adultery because they were still married to the spouse they put away. Hmm. So Jesus' point is essentially this. If two believers get married, and one of them goes and has sexual intercourse with another person, they commit adultery. That's the point he made. Mm -hmm. Because putting away your believing wife doesn't actually end the marriage in God's eyes. Right. That makes sense. <clears throat> Again, putting away and divorce are two different concepts. Now, many versions translated put away as divorce if you look at verses 11 and 12 as if jesus had said divorce what you see is verse 11 would then have jesus stating that those who follow the law recorded in deuteronomy 24 were sinning jesus would be stating that following the law resulted in sin wouldn't this make jesus not the son of god and then verse 12 would then have Jesus stating that women could divorce men under the law of Moses, which meant Jesus did not know the law, which meant Jesus was not the son of God. Now, during that time, women could put away their husbands for the cause of unbelief, idolatry, fornication. However, women could not divorce their husbands under the law of Moses. So we know Jesus was the son of God, and we also can see that these verses are properly translated as put away instead of divorce. Now, every version of the Bible that uses divorce in place of putting away are, are presenting a Jesus that is not the son of God. Now, we cleared up the Mark 10, 11, and 12. Let's look at the next chunk, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. What we're going to do for the context, because we're still at step three. What's the context? This one, we just simply have to move back two verses. So we'll go through Matthew 29 through 32. And if thy right eye causes thee to stumble, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, 
and not thy whole body be cast into hell. And if thy right hand causeth thee to stumble, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body go into hell. It was said also, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Notice we're, in, we're into the verses now. But I say unto you that everyone that putteth away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, maketh her an adulteress. And whosoever shall marry her when she is put away, committeth adultery. Okay, so what this does, verses 29 and 30 introduce profitability. Profitability was the measure of community, including marriage. It was better to cut off an unprofitable part of the body than to keep it and risk the unprofitable part, making the whole body unprofitable. Makes a ton of sense. This is actually arguing for divorce. <laughs> totally. Right? Oh, yeah. It's just saying, let's not mix up putting away and divorce. Let's not put away the people who, sh if you want to end the marriage, don't put them away, divorce them. That's essentially Jesus's point here. This, at least the subtext or the implication. Because putting away a believing wife was not recognized by God. God, again, he would still see this couple as married, and he would see any sexual intercourse or the striking of another marriage covenant would not actually be marriage, but would be considered adultery in the eyes of God. Now, this verse did not mean that the only reason for divorce among believers was adultery. Because again, these verses weren't about divorce. Putting away and divorce are two different doctrines. And then finally, the third chunk, we're still at step three with this third section of scriptures, Matthew 19, 8 and 9. We're going to go to the context back to the beginning of chapter, of chapter 19. So we'll go through Matthew 19, 1 through 9. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the borders of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. And there came unto him Pharisees, trying him and saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Another interaction with the Pharisees, similar to the other one, but it is different. And we'll see. We'll see why. So what we see here, though, is Jesus is going to Jerusalem from Galilee. First one stated that when Jesus reached the borders of Judea, the Pharisees appeared to be waiting for him, hmm. attempting to trap him by asking a question that did not have a correct answer. Take a moment and decide why this question didn't have a right answer. Even better ask people who claim to understand the Bible why this question didn't have a right answer. <laughs> if you need to, listener, feel free. Hey, this is a podcast. Feel free to press pause. They can press, do that? You can press pause in this episode right now. If you want to be intentional about your own growth, state your answer before moving on. Nice. And now, here's why. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, welcome back from those pauses. Way to go. From Way to go. Great job being intentional about your growth. Way to go. 
The reason this question didn't have a right answer is because the law did not deal with putting away. It dealt with divorce. The Pharisees are asking Jesus a question about the law as it related to a concept that was not dealt with in the law. Dang. I'll say it again. Yes, please. Putting away and divorce are two different doctrines. The law did not cover how to put away. The law was for Israel. The law was not for people outside of Israel. And putting away is for people who are out. It's for putting away people who aren't believers, who aren't part of the community. And so they're trying him. So they know what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, we can trap them. Sneaky. You know what they're doing? It's like, if we could trap him and if we get him to say the wrong answer, we're going to prove he's not the son of God. Mm -hmm. What a lot of Christians have done is just said, you know what? We're going to just present him as if he's not the son of God because we don't know what these mean. Hey. Yeah. Verses four through six. And he answered and said, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So that they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. All right, so we covered that. But the only way for Jesus to answer the question the Pharisees posed was to focus on a specific context. Jesus answered the question relative to two believing spouses. We, we know that what God had joined together, two believing spouses. They should not put each other away or put each other asunder. They could divorce, but putting away was used to remove an unbelieving spouse from the greater community. And the Pharisees didn't ask a question relative to divorce. They asked a question relative to putting away. Hmm. And again, God joining the two together meant the spouses were both believers. God does not join every marriage. God does not join marriages involving unbelievers. This would violate humanity's free will to say God joined them in every case. And this would make every bad marriage that's a bad marriage because it was a it, it was a, a bad combination of, of husband and wife would be God's fault. That makes total sense. I'd love to commentate here because I, I just want to provide some additional Bring commentary. It. So it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to the wife. Yes, who sir. Is, who is making that choice? The man. Oh, nice. Yeah. Shall leave subtle, subtle but powerful. Like causality, people. Therefore, yeah. a man shall do this. Does it say... Therefore, God shall make this man do choose a wife and that, no, 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 it no. It does no, not no. say that. It does not say that. What it says is, what it actually says is, it starts with, the verse starts with a man. Yeah. Shall leave his father and mother and join or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So it's starting with humans. That is great. Is my point. That's a great point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So we see here is Jesus's answer about putting away focused on this specific case. We know believers should not be put away. 
Believers should not be removed from the greater community if they are still believers. Right. What's this makes me sad to think it of does. all the people who have had marriages dissolved in the church today who are barred from being part of that community. That's heartbreaking. Like, doesn't it seem like the church is actually practicing putting away more than they are divorce? Yep. Now, this was not Jesus saying that people could not or should not get divorced. Not at all. They're dealing with putting away here. Now, verses 7 through 9, which this then again will bring up the two verses we focused on. They said unto him, why then did Moses command to give a bill of divorcement and to put her away? And he said unto them, Moses, for the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it had not been so. And I say unto you, whoever shall put away his wife except for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery. And he that marrieth her when she is put away committeth adultery. So the Pharisees did turn the question to divorce. It started about just putting away, but then they introduced this command to give a bill of divorcement. You wonder, is this where we get this mentality from? Man. Like, did the lumping of divorce and putting away first happen with the Pharisees? Mm. But Jesus said divorce was given as a solution to the hardness of our hearts. For the hardness of your hearts, right? Right. Some people try to make this quote from Jesus to mean that divorce is wrong. Why? Because it's a solution to the hardness of our hearts? Now, come on. Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was also a solution to the hardness of our hearts. Would these same people say Jesus' death on the cross was a sin? Shots fired! (laughs) That's brutal. Shots fired! Oh, that's brutal. It is brutal. Divorce is a solution that God had given us in his law. Just showing how much he knows us and that we're going to need a way to deal with making a poor decision. To soften our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. I was wrong, is essentially, yep. Again, putting away and divorce are two different doctrines. I may say that about a half a dozen more times through this episode. I'd love it if everybody finished this episode walking away, really, really understanding for themselves that putting away and divorce are different. And for all of you playing the divorce and putting away uh, drinking game, I'm sure you're pretty- Oh, yeah. Every time he says it, oh, man. On on uh, juice. Yeah, they're all probably you, you better be drinking light beer listening <laughs> to this episode. <laughs> so to just to, to round out this step three, because we're still on step three, the context. What we saw here with the verses in Matthew 19 is Jesus gave more details about believers putting away believing spouses. That was the issue. Believers should not put away believer, believers. And Jesus said that believers putting away a spouse for any reason other than fornication would result in adultery because God still considered both spouses to be believers and therefore still married to each other. Mm -hmm. Why, except for any reason other than fornication? Because fornication would be the reason that would prove that person wasn't a believer. How about that? Right? So there's a conjunctive. 
What's the limitation? Unbeliever, fornicator. But by fornication, Jesus meant unbelief through covenanting with other gods, either directly or indirectly through violating the covenant of marriage by sex with unbelievers. Now, remember, the context of the original question was relative to the law, the law of Moses. This was the only answer Jesus could have given and specifically supported his answer with the law. Because the law covered believing spouses married to each other. The law did not cover marriage involving one or more unbelieving spouses. So Jesus did not answer the original question in the following application. Does a believing spouse have to put away an unbelieving spouse according to the law? Again, there's not an answer to that question according to the law. Because the law covered divorce, not putting away. Jesus couldn't answer it. Now, we already brought up the law in our explanation earlier. I referred to Deuteronomy 24 a couple times. So now we are done with step three. But what we want to do is look at these other scriptures that we keep bringing up the law, the law, the law, the law. So we need to move to step four and look at those verses directly. Okay. And before we do that, I just, I have a question to you, Joel. You're going through, you're, you're, going through Bible school right now and you're getting, you're working on getting your doctorate. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, yeah. I am. Have you ever, has this ever been taught in, in any classes that you've been in? Um, not, nothing we're teaching has been taught. Okay. Cause I have, I have never heard someone say putting away and divorce are two different concepts outside of the community that you and I are involved in. Okay. So, and, and I appreciate that. And, and I, and I thought that, but I wanted to confirm that before making this point that what people are hearing right now is just it. I've never, I haven't heard it either. I haven't heard it anywhere. Right. The, the, the separation of divorce and putting away and it being broken down like that. So if you're if you're listening to this and it is like it it could feel like you just heard a lot of information, then listen to it again. Yeah. Start it over. Yeah. You know, listen to step three again. Hear the context. It was really this is this is just very different information. It is. It's it's you're learning a new language. So relax. You don't need to get it in the immediate first listen. Listen to it again and let it and let it soak in. And just keep going until you can pull divorce and putting away as two separate concepts and look at it like that. But it's going to be really healthy for your brain. And I would say that this is doctorate level stuff and beyond. <laughs> yeah, well, it's definitely if, if there was a higher level than doctorate, it would be at that level. But I think this is what doctorate level stuff should be teaching. Yeah. And it is, it's, it is, and it makes so much sense though, when you it really does. start to understand it. And, uh, but I like what you said. And yeah, I mean, if you need to break up the episode and just listen to one part at a time, we have five steps of interpretation that we're giving everybody. Just listen to one part a day. Yep. Just slow it down. That's the benefit of these being on a podcast. Absolutely. They're very re-listenable. 
So thank yeah, Joel, this is this is amazing. And I think that it gets it gets more simple after you hear when you hear it a second time, it's like yeah, hearing it the first time is the hardest, you know, when you're receiving new information, it's the hardest to receive it. But I'm glad that everybody has a foundation that's coming in to listen to this this verse from what we've covered before yeah i agree and i mean not only is it it's just different the the whole concept of putting away is something that most people are just completely it's foreign to them right but in addition to that largely the church has been just hammered with this belief that divorce is a sin totally and that God hates divorce. Totally. So not only are you learning new concepts, but a lot, if not most of the people are also having to unlearn something too, mm-hmm. which is even harder. So nice. let's get into step four, which is yes, sir. what scriptures do we need to reference from outside the context of this passage? So let's go right at the one I already referenced. Deuteronomy 24 Verses one through four. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, comma, Pause. Hmm. Notice the law did not say to write a bill of divorce and put away, as the Pharisees stated to Jesus. Deuteronomy 24.1 said to write a bill of divorcement and to send her out of your house, not out of the community. Hmm. And then where I ended after after verse 2, Deuteronomy 24.2 stated she could be another man's wife. So the Pharisees were misquoting this part of the law in their attempt to test Jesus. In Jesus' response to the Pharisees, Jesus referenced Deuteronomy 24.1 and 2 and taught divorce was given to us because of our heart, our hard hearts. The same as what we saw Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was for. So let me go back. So verse 2, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. Three, if the latter husband or the first husband detests her and writes a bill of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land, which the Lord, your God is giving you as an inheritance. So according to the law, divorce was a method used by the husband to end a marriage covenant with both spouses remaining in the believing community and able to marry other believers. We know now the question posed to Jesus concerning putting away and the law. 
We see here in step four that the law gave instructions or directions concerning divorce. The law did not give directions concerning putting away. And there's some uh, more, you know, in verses three and four, there's some more specific application here. Really, if I married a woman, found some uncleanness in her, divorced her, and she married another man, and then he divorced her, I can't take back my original wife. That's, that doesn't mean the divorces were wrong. It means I can't remarry her if she went and married someone else after we were divorced. If anything, what this specific application of the law does is it helps the man really, really make sure if he wants to divorce his wife that he's doing, that he's doing the right thing that it's the right decision. That little detail of the law ought to slow him down enough to make sure. Doesn't mean it would be wrong to do it. It just means, you know, if she goes and marries somebody else and then divorces that and that marriage ends in a divorce and you regret divorcing her in the first place, mm-hmm. too late, buddy. Mm-hmm. But anyways, What we see, I mean, really, that's just getting into the specific details here. But for the sake of understanding divorce and putting away, what we can see through Deuteronomy 24 is that putting away was not dealt with in the law. All right, we're not done. We got two other chunks of passages we're going to go through in step four. Yeah, this is awesome, man. So we are still looking at context outside of the original passages. Mm Mm-hmm. Here, what I want to do is look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 6 and then verses 8 through 16. The Apostle Paul dealt with this issue as well. And that's what we're going to see here is the Apostle Paul talking about putting away and marriage and what this looks like. So starting with this, this is a really important setup. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 says, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. That's the setup of this. So 1 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9 say this. But I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they have not continency, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So Paul's bringing up being single, being married, which is better. Paul implied that remaining unmarried and not burning was the best condi- the best condition to be in. Paul said he wished all men were as him. However, he did not deny uniqueness. Paul said we all have different gifts, which we which would include our ability or are we gifted for marriage? It was better for you to get married if you did not, or if you could not contain yourself. Because not being able to contain yourself would lead to fornication, which would lead to burning. Mm-hmm. So basically, a person who is gifted for marriage ought to marry. A person who is not gifted for marriage ought not to marry. Makes sense. Verses 10 and 11. But unto the married I give charge, 
yea, not I, but the Lord, that the wife depart not from her husband. But should she depart, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband leave not his wife. So these verses, 10 and 11, the earlier ones were by permission. Paul spoke them. These two verses, 10 and 11, were by commandment from God. Because these two verses addressed marriage between believing spouses. God could speak to this situation according to his law. Jesus also was able to speak to the situation that we saw earlier in the Mark and the Matthew examples. This passage actually referenced the doctrine of putting away when Paul used the word depart. But she, but should she depart? That means putting away. Mm. So verses 10 and 11 stated that believing spouses should not put each other away. Otherwise, they would be committing adultery when they, quote, married another person or had sexual intercourse with another person. Because God would still have seen them as married. However, Paul stated this commandment from God in the positive. He said, if believing spouses put each other away, they each ought to remain unmarried so as to prevent committing adultery. So it's like, if you're going to put somebody away, essentially, this, you know what this almost sounds like is like similar to like a legal separation. Mm, sure. Where it's like, I'm going to put you away. We're not divorced. We're both believers. Because we're both believers and we're not divorced, Paul's point is remain unmarried. Because if you don't get divorced and you go and try to, quote, marry someone else, it's not going to be marriage. It's going to be adultery. So what's interesting here with these verses in 1 Corinthians 7, like the commentary from Mark 10, 11, and 12, some translations use the word divorce in place of depart. Remember, Paul stated these two verses were from God, right? This was by commandment. So if God stated that these believing spouses could not divorce, then God would have been con contradicting his own law. Nice. Making God not God. Now, verse 12. And this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. How many people know this? Paul wrote these, the Paul wrote this letter to the first to the Corinthians, this first letter, and a big chunk of the seventh chapter is him writing it by permission. Listen to the verse 12 says. But to the rest say I, not the Lord. So verses 12, the rest of the verses, 12 through 15, that we're going to cover, again, were from Paul by permission. So, but to the rest say I, not the Lord. If any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is content to dwell with him, let him not leave her. So here is Paul addressing a situation of a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. Hmm. First, this proved that the situation God addressed in the verses 10 and 11 concerned marriage between believers. And then just permission being, Paul's like, hey, God, can I have an opinion about this? Can I share that with them? God's like, sure. Yeah. It's not like it's You're not... Am you're I showing our hand. You're showing our hand a little bit there, Jonathan. But I'll, oh, I'll just okay. go ahead and say, yeah. I mean, you're right. 
we will get into that a little bit deeper as we move forward. Okay. We're getting, yeah, we're just I'll wait. up the audience. Yeah. I'll wait. We got to do this one step at a time, right? Okay. So this also shows, you know, again, this, this also shows because Paul did this by permission. Me, not the Lord. Mm. That Jesus in Mark 10, 11, and 12, similar to God, was unable to answer this situation according to the law. So it's cool. It's like Paul, I wonder if it's like, did maybe Paul have some like, you know, Jesus, Jesus always kind of answered these questions about putting away really, really weird in a way that, in a way that we weren't hoping he would. Can you clear some things up for us? So Paul's like, by permission, I'll address some of those things that maybe you're still confused by. So in this passage, we did see God through Paul avoided answering the same questions according to the law by having Paul answer these questions by permission. Now, here's an important part that we need to recognize is who Paul is speaking to. Because people can misinterpret this passage when they think Paul is speaking to the spouses. But Paul is not speaking to the spouses. He was speaking to the church about a marriage that involved a believer and an unbeliever. To the people outside the marriage, Paul is speaking to. Also, Paul stated that people outside of the marriage ought to allow the believing husband to not leave or to not put her away. So you're not required to put away an unbelieving wife. This did not say that the church ought to prevent him from doing it either. That would have been requiring a believer to remain in a covenant with an unbeliever, which would be requiring a believer to commit fornication. Paul was stating that the decision was up to the believing husband. If the believing husband thought that the wife was in agreement with the marriage, then the unbelieving wife was willing to covenant with God through the believing husband. So translations other than the King James and the ASV use the word divorce in place of the term leave and depart. Here, Paul would be proving he did not know the law if he encouraged believing spouses to divorce unbelievers, which would have allowed unbelievers to remain in community. <laughs> Man, yeah, you may have to re-listen to this stuff again. It's probably the only way you've ever heard this you never heard these verses taught this way before, likely. So Paul continues by permission, verse 13, and the woman that hath an unbelieving husband, and he is content to dwell with her, let her not leave her husband. So the same could be said about verse 13 as was stated in verse 12, with one crucial addition. When other translations use the word divorce in place of the word leave, they're stating Paul did not know the law because according to the law, women were not allowed to divorce men. Men divorced women. However, women were allowed to put away their husbands. Why would they do that? Due to fornication or unbelief. Mm -hmm. So a believing wife could put away her unbelieving husband. Now, verse 14, Paul continues by permission. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the brother. 
else were your children unclean, but now they now are they holy. So verse 14 meant that the children would not be considered a product of fornication or unclean because of one of the parents being un, an unbelieving spouse. This was stated as one effect of the believer choosing to remain married to the unbelieving spouse. So this verse addressed Paul's explanation of fornication in the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, Paul stated that believers having covenantal sexual intercourse with those who worship other gods was fornication. However, marriage between believers and unbelievers could be fornication if the unbeliever was covenanting with other gods. And it could not be fornication if the unbeliever was open to remaining in the marriage with the believing spouse. Now, in the latter case, Paul stated the believing spouse sanctified the unbeliever so that fornication was not the result of the marriage covenant. Otherwise, Paul contradicted himself between this chapter and the previous chapter. So, Paul, like, thank you, Paul, for giving us all these specific situations that are situations that God couldn't explicitly state one way or another what you should do according to the law. So much is kind of danced around also because of the uniqueness of individuals. Right. Verse 15, Paul continues by permission. Yet, if the unbelieving departs, let him depart. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us in peace. So verse 15 was the final condition that had to be addressed in a non-contradictory fashion, Paul stated that if the unbelieving spouse put themselves away to let them go, the unbeliever was essentially admitting at this point they did not want to be in covenant with the person who was in covenant with God. Now, again, important point to remember, Paul was speaking to the church about a marriage between a believer and an unbelieving spouse. Mm -hmm. And then verse 16, for how knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O husband, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Paul saved his ultimate reason for the end of this discussion about what he stated by permission. The reason mercy was given to the unbelieving spouse, and really to the believing spouse, was that no one knew if the marriage would result in the conversion of the unbelieving spouse. They sure. wanted to stay in the marriage covenant, and agreed to that marriage, this could be the path of evangelism for this person to become a believer. Love that. So that's what Paul's permission allowed for, was for marriage to be used as an evangelistic tool. Nice. So it seemed that what was going on, maybe in, the, in Corinth, was that people outside of this marriage were harassing the believer about having to put away their unbelieving spouse. But God's law could not say that the unbelieving spouse ought to be put away, and it could not say the unbelieving spouse should not be put away, because no one knew if this marriage would result in this conversion. And again, the law was for believers. The law of Moses was not applied to people outside of Israel, just like we can't hold people outside of the United States to the laws of the United States. It's not for them. Nice. Okay. One more. It's we're great, still... man. Yeah, it's good. 
I think people are really going to get a kick out of this one too. Tracking. So we continue in step four by looking at an important section of scriptures outside of the original context. Here, we'll see how the story of Jesus's earthly parents continues to clear up the issue between divorce and putting away. An issue. So it's an issue close to Jesus's heart. Yes. <laughs> you're talking. It's like, dude, you're talking Part about my mom. You're talking about yeah, my mom. You you're talking about my mom and dad here. <laughs> Careful how you talk about Jesus's parents. <laughs> Matthew chapter one, verses 16 through 20 is what we're going to cover. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So Mary was a virgin, and it blatantly stated that Joseph was the husband of Mary. Now, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary were betrothed. So Mary was pregnant of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was holding God's office as Mary's husband because they exchanged tokens. And then verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately or privily or privately. Okay, so since Mary was pregnant, Joseph would have thought she was actually married to someone else because she must have had sexual intercourse. Since Joseph was righteous, he could not marry her unless she had a bill of divorcement. He also knew he could not have sexual intercourse because that would have been committing adultery. Joseph could not divorce Mary because he would have thought she was married to someone else and only that man could divorce Mary. However, Joseph could put away Mary. Again, divorce and putting away are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Joseph would have been able to put away Mary. Jo he could testify that she had committed fornication and must be removed from the greater community. I mean, Joseph was the only person who ever dealt with this situation. Wow. Yeah. Pregnant woman, is he supposed to just assume that it's from the Holy Spirit? No. Now, the fact that Joseph did not want to make her a public example was the reason why Joseph would put her away privately. If anything, people tended to be put away publicly so that others in the greater community did not form a marriage covenant with that unbeliever. A lot of sources attempt to say that Joseph was going to do this privately because that was how people were put away or divorced. But the correct translation for this passage is put her away, although many newer translations wrongly use the term divorce. As we have seen, Joseph could not have divorced Mary, not only because he would not have considered himself her actual husband, but also because he would not have wanted to give her a bill of divorcement so that she could marry someone in the greater community. If at this point in the story, he would have thought rightly so that she was an unbeliever. And then verse 20. But when he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, 
fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So while Joseph thought about this really complicated situation, an angel appeared to him, told him the child was of the Holy Spirit. This caused Joseph to realize that Mary had not been previously married and also caused him to continue with the marriage covenant that he and Mary had begun because he would have realized her pregnancy was not the result of Mary having had sexual intercourse with another man. Joseph, a righteous man. These verses, we don't get a lot about Joseph, and a lot of people are with me on this, like, man, it'd be great if we had more about Joseph, but right. just these few verses say a ton about the integrity of this man, the morality. 100%. It's like the most efficient explanation of, <laughs> right. of an incredible human that I've you right? ever read in the Bible. There's so many complicated things going on in this decision <laughs> to put her away privately. Oh, yeah. Okay. We've made it through four of the five steps of interpretation. We have asked, what does the Bible say? We have asked, what's the original language or did the English translation get in the way? We looked at the context. We, find, uh, we found other scriptures we needed outside the original context. And now, thanks to you, you actually set this up really well. Your question about what's it mean by permission kind of proved we have one more step to take. Yeah. Uh -huh. Step five, what we are asking, what key words need to be defined by referencing passages outside of this context? So again, we're going outside the original. So that's where you look at, Steps one through three are very focused on the specific verses and the context directly around those verses, including what do the words mean in those verses. Steps four and five ask the question, where do we need to go outside of the context of the original verses? And also, are there any key words that we need to find from outside of the original context? So. Keywords that we used through step four in particular. Lawful. We saw actually Mark 10, 2. The Pharisees brought up the word lawful, which brought in the idea that we have to go and look at the law of Moses with this interpretation. So they're simply asking Jesus here, what's it mean for it to be lawful? Well, is it right for a man to put away his wife? Using the word lawful brought the law of Moses as the measure for what was right. And Jesus needed to use the law of Moses in his answer, which was unfortunate for the Pharisees since they were also then held to the same standard. Nice. So lawful, essentially you just define that, that keyword is defined by in line or in conjunction with the law of Moses. Some uncleanness. So Deuteronomy 24.1, this is a huge, huge key phrase in the doctrine of divorce as it related to the law. Is Deuteronomy 24.1 said, when a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a bill of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. 
So when that happens, okay, we already covered what that all means, but what is some uncleanness? That's some key words we need to define. What do these mean? Since that's the measure for when a man can divorce his wife. Now notice there is not some specific behavior that fits every case. Again, uniqueness comes into play. Now, Jesus brought up in the context of some of these putting away verses, the concept of profitability. He directly connected profitability to marriage. So some uncleanness would simply mean some or any area of unprofitability. That's it. Okay, a few more here. There's some words that Paul used in 1 Corinthians. One was the permission and one was by command. So we just simply want to really get some clarity on what did Paul mean by permission and what did Paul mean by command? And it's simply by permission is Paul's given the freedom, the green light to go and do something. He's given leave to say something. What we saw is really what this looked like is Paul was God giving Paul the right to speak in this area himself. Mm. By command was God charging Paul to do so, ordering it, requiring it. Nice. So simply put, by permission would be from Paul, by command would be from God through Paul. Nice. And then one more word. In Matthew chapter 1 with Joseph and Mary, the word betrothed was used. We talked about tokens, but that original language, betrothed, came from a word that meant to give a souvenir. This would be considered an exchange of tokens. Throughout the Old Testament, the marriage covenant was initiated in one of three ways. One, an exchange of vows. Two, an exchange of tokens or three, sexual intercourse. Now, regardless of which one you initiated of these three, the marriage covenant was completed with sexual intercourse. And okay, that's it. We've done all five steps in one of our episodes this season. And ultimately, trying to become contradiction removers. We've we know contradictions don't exist in reality, and these steps are slowly, and we can see in this episode, sometimes very slowly, bringing us through exposing and removing any contradictions that man has introduced into the Bible. Now, the, the moment we've all been waiting for, can you give us the ditty, the complete and full five-verse ditty? Oh, absolutely. What does the Bible say? Did the English translation get in the way? Why don't you look at the context? Find other scriptures you need and define the words which are complex. Yeah! Oh, there we it. go. All right, and again, press pause, rewind, replay it. We can learn this ditty, memorize this ditty, sing this ditty, and it's going to help us approach the Bible in a more enlightening and non-contradictory fashion every time we read it. Yes. 
Excellent. Thank you, Joel. Now, what is the ultimate answer? The ultimate answer, believing spouses can divorce each other and the greater community ought to embrace both of them, not shun them. A believing spouse can put away an unbelieving spouse, but they don't have to. Also, they can put away an unbelieving spouse, but they don't have to humiliate them. Nice. Notice this is how Jehovah handled his marriage to Israel and Judah. Having the wrong doctrine about marriage, divorce, and putting away would cause a person to have to say that Jehovah sinned in either of his two marriages. Now, the Bible may have conflicts in what has been stated. However, the Bible does not have contradictions in the why or in the doctrine. Thank you, Joel. This has been What the Flock. If you'd like a deeper study of this verse and how to deal with people who believe the man-made traditional perspectives, listen to the Music of Life Church podcast companion episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.